Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Okay, I think we're on. I think we're on air. I'm on air on sea on land on land oh my goodness the trifecta on a rocket ship into outer space oh a fourth oh (laughs) okay that's how i feel like you were just telling me how your brain is cracking i did i did i feel like i've exited the planet for lack of a better term i uh i just put my head next to the microphone so christine could hear my brain snapping slowly yeah, I could hear it from afar, mm-hmm. really loudly. Even when your mic's off, I can hear it from Burbank. Oh, me too. It wakes here. me up at night sometimes. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> oh, no. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to day 6,842 of uh, quarantine, social distancing. That's a conservative guess, I think. Thank you. I think so. Um, how are you, Em? Hmm, how am I? Well, I just said my brain is snapping into chunks. <laughs> Um, I know. Now I'm just rubbing it in. I'm sorry. Uh, no, actually, I'm pretty good. I'm still. I feel like I'm very lucky compared to other people, and that I love being home and I love being away from others. So yeah, I'm having like it. To me, it's a little bit of like a mental vacation because like I'm not expected to have to like go hang out with people I don't necessarily want to. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, I mean, I, I have been talking about being on Bumble BFF and today was a tough day. I had to, I had to break up with a potential Bumble BFF. <gasps> Why? It just didn't feel right. And so I, it was weird because I didn't want to be that person that ghosts someone. So I tried to be really <laughs> transparent with it. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> Yikes. Oh no. no. What did they do wrong so that we can all learn from their mistakes? Uh, well, they were just way too into being outside. And, and I was, <laughs> you were like, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. Well, they, they kept implying things like, oh, after this, we should like go hiking. And like, I, oh, oh big red flag. Let me, let me read for you. Uh, an excerpt from my bff profile if you will oh my god do you think they're gonna oh from your profile i was like if you read their conversation Mm -hmm, they're gonna hear this and be really sad no no no. but i will say the last sentence i have in my profile is please don't make me hike so Mm. uh and then they kept talking about how we should go hiking a lot and i was like listen i don't think this is gonna work out (laughs) I mean, that just means that they didn't read your profile, which is a little bit rude to begin with. So, I, I mean, that's the truth. I, it was, uh, but I felt weird because, you know, I hadn't even met this person, but I was like, I'm just going to nip this in the bud before it gets any further. 
Also, like we all know about meeting people in the deserted mountains of Griffith Park alone. It's just never a good idea with strangers. You know, you got to go in groups Absolutely with someone you know. Not. Also, you never know. So they did say that they were terrified of anything like spooky and scary. And I was like, oh, you're really going to hate my job when you find it's- out what I do. <laughs> this is a bad mix. <laughs> This is a bad mix. It's calming that you like don't know who I am, so like we can like start on like a clean slate. But yes, I'm gonna ruin it for you anyway if we keep this going. So you might as well just end it. I'm too scared to do bun- Bumble BFF because I feel like I'm too much of a yes person, and I'd always be like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I could make that work, and then I would just like be inundated with like feeling like, oh god, I've signed on for too many conversations and things. That's kind of the perk though of doing it while in quarantine because it's like true. this. This forces people to like get to know each other before like going out and agreeing to something they don't really want to. I just feel like I'm bad enough as it is like keeping up with my friends. Like I'm so bad at keeping up with people that like I shouldn't add more to the table until I'm like better at like maintaining <laughs> my current relationships because I'll be I'll go like a month and be like, oh, fuck, I haven't texted so and so back or like I haven't checked in with blank. I mean, the quarantine has helped a lot because I'm like more thoughtful about it, but I'm already so bad at keeping up with like the five friends that I have that I'm like, I don't know if I can add a sixth, you know? I know. I totally get that. And I think I'm just super lucky that a lot of my friends are so go with the flow. And yeah. like, like a lot of my friends forget about me for a month, but I forget about them for a month. Yes, so it, exactly. We're all okay with the fact that we're not each other's priority, but we do love each other. And that's why we only have six because those six <laughs> stuck around and the rest were like, fuck you. And I was like, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do this. But the rest of them were like, yeah, we're on the same page. Like we've known each other 20 years. No well, I, worries. I texted. So today's day 30 of my quarantine and I texted our other friend, Christine. And I was like, oh, hey, how are you handling everything? Are you okay? And uh, she was like, yeah, I've been in Texas for a month. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, how did I not know that? I know. Uh, Renee's graduation from law school. And, like, she's class president. And I was going to go see her in Aww. May, like, do her speech and everything. And she was planning it all. And then the other day, I was like, oh, my God. I never even texted to be like, hey, is that canceled? Because, like, I need to cancel my <laughs> flight. And she's like, yeah, I'm in Cleveland, like, with my mom. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, my bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, you know, anyway, I, uh, I'm i glad that you are strong enough to um, cut ties with someone that isn't a good fit. That's I just, very brave of you. I had a thank you. I had a hunch going in. I was like, this doesn't feel right. But I also don't want to like, you know, I don't want to judge a book by its cover. I want to try and get to know the person. And I then feel you. and then they kept saying like, oh, yeah, well, like, I've, I'm trying to my goal is to hike like every mountain in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, why? <laughs> oh, my God, you guys, you must have gotten on the wrong algorithm on there or something. Maybe. I don't know and I mean, to be fair, also, like before people think I'm like that shallow where I broke it off for that one thing. There were a few things where I was just like, eh, I don't know if we'll be a total match. But anyway, it wasn't a love connection. Aww, and that's fine. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's all I've been doing. I've been on Bumble a lot. I've been keeping up. I have been keeping up with the ukulele. I'm very proud of myself. I'm starting to be able to move my fingers quickly. (laughs) Like I... I mentioned last time how like I my hands refuse to do individual things from each other, like independent things. Oh, I didn't think you mentioned that. That might have been on like a a live stream or something. I don't think I heard about this. Oh, yeah. So when I um so. I tried learning guitar when I was 11 and I quickly stopped trying because um, I learned and same with um, piano. I tried that. I tried drums, but like my fingers won't, I don't know how to describe it, but my left hand and my right hand refuse to work independently from each other. And so to like be making like oh. chord motions with one hand and strumming with another, my, I, 
my body's like, you're not going to be able it's to do like that. It's like patting your head and rubbing your stomach or whatever. Yes, exactly. Got my it. hands are just like, no, you won't do that. So I'm very slow at this, but I am learning how to make my hands move separately from each well, other. Well, that's great. Well, that's Thank good. You. How have I mean, you been? How's Animal Crossing? I already know there's an update on that. You know, Animal Crossing's great. I just got another home loan for 1.2 million bells, which is like dollars, which oh. is a lot of money. And yeah, I mean, 1.2 million, it's a lot. I'm like, how am I supposed to find that? So I've been selling a lot of tarantulas. But, you know, I'll get, I'll <laughs> is get it the figured truth? out. Is that how it's, that works? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I so first of all i wouldn't know if 1.2 million dollars isn't a lot of money considering i'm the richest person on earth but you have so many millions that uh doesn't even mean anything to you anymore i have like nine thousand tarantulas worth of money so (laughs) just to give you an idea Um, so can you is do they give you a reason for why a tarantula is valuable like could you could you trick them with like a daddy long leg and get a discount or something (laughs) it's <laughs> really good that's like the bootleg version of the game i think <laughs> um, basically you like collect animals and then you sell them and and they're worth different amounts of money and then you donate some to the museum and it's a whole thing i mean you know it's fine i've been using it i feel like i got more obsessed with stardew valley than i did animal crossing um but animal crossing is very soothing i feel like it's a good like stress reliever in the evening um, I tried to do a puzzle, but Junie started launching individual pieces off the table, and then Gio immediately would grab them, <laughs> run out of the room, and chew them up. Oh, so no. I'm now missing 15 pieces uh, that are chewed up. Mm. And uh, so that didn't work. Um, but I did finish my 30-day yoga challenge, which is like the first time I've ever done anything like that. Yikes. Um, I mean, congrats. But also, like, you, <laughs> yeah, you've been doing it was- you did it with Adrian, right? Yes, yoga with Adrian. And she's lovely. And by the 30th day... This is a good indicator of my mental health. I just laid there and burst into tears. So I was like, <laughs> literally, was like, I finished something for thirty days, but then I was like, well, now what do I do? Like, I just was so, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I like, I'm the same way as you. Where like, I have no problem being indoors, and like, it hasn't really phased me that like I'm not going to like bars or stores right. or whatever. Like that hasn't phased me. But like the fact that Blaze is at work every day is starting to freak me out more and more. Sure. And I think I'm like, I, I don't know, just like hearing the stories from people whose families are sick and stuff is starting to freak me out a little bit yeah i have so so far i've had um one person i uh, i'm not friends necessarily but we have a mutual friend i just found out that her dad passed away from this and um (gasps) one of my friends that i used to work at iss with um her dad has been intubated for like three weeks now oh no! and so i think they've been preparing i don't know what the new update is but last i heard they were like I think preparing to say goodbye. It's like we're so lucky compared to other people out there, but for sure. I can't imagine also living and not just you but anyone that's listening who's living with someone who's working in the medical world right now and like watching them come home and being scared for them every time they leave. I am very lucky to be removed from that experience, but it must be such a a mental it must just fuck with your head. And it's one of those things where like I tried to kind of just like play it like, okay, like, you know, you be safe. Don't I don't I didn't want to add stress to him, his life. And then you sure. know, he would come home and be like he's but he's been in such a weird headspace and I started noticing it. And like 
he tries to be kind of the stoic one because I'm the crazy person and he like knows that. So typically he's the more balanced Capricorn, you know, and, right. but I've noticed that he's definitely off kilter and it's like starting to throw me for a loop a little bit. Cause I'm like, uh Oh, we can't both be this way. Uh, well, also the, the weird part of that is that's probably him trying his best to exactly, not come off. Exactly. Weird. And like, you know, we've talked a little bit about it and he's like, you know, the people he's treating, a lot of them, like, have passed away. And he's, like, you know, they're, like, 35 and, like, 40. You know, like, they're Yikes. young. And a lot of them, obviously, have, like, pre-existing conditions. Um, but, you know, like, someone was on the same medication as me. And, like, you know, it's free- freaky stuff like that where he's starting to, like, it's becoming much more, I don't know, uh, frightening and, like, real life and you know people he's treating are like younger than both of our parents and are falling ill out of nowhere and it's it's, it's scary anyway i know you guys probably are like yeah we're already scared stop telling us more about (laughs) it um so i'm sorry but uh, but at the same time we also don't want to come off as assholes that like you know we're playing animal crossing and that's (laughs) the worst of it so you know i think we're all trying our best but i do want to like be super thankful that we have this job and like that all the people who are connected to us on like social media or through the podcast have just been like engaged with us and stuff because i feel like that helps so much to have people to like talk to and engage with when we're all you know separate so i'm I'm very thankful for all of you listeners yes thank you you. (laughs) and i love you more no i love you more okay Oh, that could be a fun competition. Uh, <laughs> Let's see how long we could do it. Oh, my goodness. So um, that being said, I, I do have a long story. Before I get into it, though, I know you have a patron of the week. Oh, yes, you are right. Thank you so much for reminding me. Um, our patron of the week is Ban... Nope, that's not a name. <laughs> our patron... Of the- <laughs> Maybe it is. Sorry if that is your name. But our patron of the week is Brandy Belchick. So thank you, Brandy. Sounds like um, a TV name. It does, doesn't it? Like like she'd be like a lawyer, like an up-and-coming young lawyer. Brandy Belchick. That's the truth. On the case. And I love a good alliteration. Love it. So thank you, Brandy, for supporting us for so many years and for being um, such a such a such a light in my life i guess oh go out there and say it brandy no absolutely (laughs) a a love and a light and a beacon and a hope i would say a beacon i would agree because that's the alliteration too Uh, the beacon of brandy brandy belchick the beacon yeah that's good bingo oh hold on (laughs) okay we gotta okay (laughs) i'm gonna name her brandy the beacon in quotes belchick you know, That's the like one. how you put a nickname in the middle. Oh, I oh I know. I know. Brandy the Beacon Belchick. It's good. I call you Christine what the it? Monster Schiefer. <laughs> I know. It's so endearing. I, I would call you, hmm, if I had to give you a realistic. Oh, are we doing this now? Okay, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I'd give you something about your eyebrows or your lip color because you know I always compliment those. That's so very kind because those are the things that I was most insecure about for so many years that I aggressively worked so hard to try and make them normal. So every time I hear a compliment about them, I'm like, that's weird. But um, If you live under a rock or do not have social media or have never Googled us, you have never seen a picture of Christine's lip color, but it is she is, does a very good job in the makeup world of like, always knowing the exact color to like match her complexion it's very weird i appreciate that because it's only one color and i only only (laughs) one color because it took me years of finding colors that looked horrifying and then one time i was like this actually looks okay in photos and then i never went back 
Just the one. No, you you are very, very good at doing your makeup. Oh, that's so kind because it takes me four minutes. I just slather shit on my face and then go, well. So you're one of the people that everyone hates. Got no, it. So you're I'm, Christine, the makeup I'm monster. You, I was going to do one of those like videos for my new YouTube channel of like, oh, look, this is how I do my makeup. It's four minutes long. Unlike all these like beauty bloggers. But I swear people would be like, Christine, that is not correct. Like, please don't do that to your face. Like, I guarantee <laughs> you I'm doing all sorts of shit wrong. I just kind of put stuff on my face and go well here we are <laughs> i don't know here we are oh boy anyway brandy this one's for you yeah. uh so <laughs> you're welcome by the way um, brandy so... just canceled her patreon subscription that's unfortunate oh, oh looks like brandy jumped on a spaceship and flew away <gasps> come with me brandy <laughs> <laughs> You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink daylight saving time is starting up again it may feel like there are more hours in the day but if you're hiring it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner there's only one way to do that zip recruiter right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com drink ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So speaking of spaceships, we have to get back into our original, our last episode. I did tell you guys this was going to be a uh, two-parter. So this is part two. Um, last episode was uh, about Mount Shasta in general, which is in Siskiyou County, California. Right. Um, known to be very paranormal. A lot of activity goes on there, whether it's cryptids or spirits or um, or aliens. Um, and a lot of it's I, I didn't know this, but apparently there's seven chakras on Earth. Uh, it's seven of like the most the largest energy vortexes on the mm-hmm. planet. 
And this happens to be one of the seven. Well, there's actually a 69th one too, but we invented that last week. So it's not really on the books yet. That's the truth. That's mm-hmm. the truth. And uh, <laughs> you can do the math on what uh, what chakra that aligns within the human body. Um, you figure that one out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so this is just supposed to be like a crazy spiritual place. Um, there's been human life to uh, said to have existed there for like 11,000 years. Um, super bananas. So I last left this off by saying that there's a lot of ufos there a lot of people have said that the clouds themselves might be ufos oh yeah well someone tweeted uh the phrase the lenticular clouds oh yeah 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 Yeah. so those are the types of clouds um so i guess these clouds usually show up around mountain peaks which mount shasta is uh i think one of the largest mountains in the country and so apparently lenticular clouds when they come down around mountain peaks it's almost like the mountain like pokes at it or like kind of like inverts it and so it ends up looking like a ufo itself oh got it and so many uh many people think that these clouds are either normal clouds that are being controlled by um aliens so that it can almost be like a wall for them to hide behind as they're flying into space or docking onto earth um and some people think that the clouds themselves are ufos or spacecrafts and scientists will say that it's just wet air moving over mountains and so the waves end up kind of looking layered and it looks saucer shaped but a lot of people believe that these clouds are uh, used to disguise ufos so these could be ufos just always floating around in the sky near mount shasta but they just happen to look like clouds to kind of be a camouflage and that these ufos are called the silver fleet and that the Silver Fleet is built and owned by um, a, a race of people that live up in Mount Shasta called the Lemurians. Right. So that is where we left off. And now I'm going to only cover the Lemurians during this because it's bananas. Okay. So the Lemurians. Um, the Lemurians, we got a lot to cover. So knuckle and buckle. Let's crack into it, as you used to say. As I, Yes. <laughs> All of, all of my things just pile them sky high. Here's the thing: we tried to do knuckle and buckle, and no one caught on. Like no one got on board with it. I fucking got on board with it. I did too. I love it. It's my favorite. But nobody like like humored us. Uh, so we're just. I guess we're just keep forcing it. So yeah, let's knuckle and buckle. As you know, as Gemini's, if we aren't given constant attention and gratification about something, then we will just write it off like we never did it at all. So yeah, it was M's idea, not mine. Exactly. I we're both embarrassed. Okay, so. <laughs> The Lemurians. They are an ancient race who live deep inside Mount Shasta in a city made of crystal. And the city is called Talos or Telos. I'm going to say Talos. Um, mm-hmm. T-E-L-O-S. So we start in 1864, as you do. Mm. I remember it fondly. Yes, me too. <laughs> so apparently there was a either a zoologist or a paleontologist. I think it was a zoologist that seemed to be the one that most reports went with, Mm -hmm. uh, that hypothesized that there was a continent in the Indian Ocean between Australia and Madagascar. And this continent was called Lemuria. And this continent was, based on this hypothesis, it was a concept or an idea that kind of implied how lemurs would have migrated to Madagascar because they would have started in Lemuria 
ended up in Madagascar, and that's how lemurs got there. I was really wondering if if lemurs had anything to do with this, so I'm pleased. Okay. This is in the etymology and the history of the word, yes. Zaboomafu all the way. Actually, Zaboomafu was filmed and recorded uh, at Lemuria. In the secret continent. Got it. Lemuria Studios. (laughs) Um, So... This so yeah, this was the theory of how uh, lemurs might have migrated into Madagascar. Um, but you must be wondering, well, then what happened to Lemuria? And just like the lost city of Atlantis, Lemuria at one point sunk in the ocean. Uh-huh. So um, this theory has been debunked, um, but it did help spur interest in the concept of a supercontinent that may have existed at one point, and it actually did. Uh, it was part of what led to the discovery of Pangea. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Okay. It was like a theory and everyone was like, that's stupid. But also let's let it help wow. us find the real sunken continent. <laughs> or broken. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, although debunked, I'm just trying to figure out how to phrase this. Although the theory was debunked, the idea ended up um, being perpetuated anyway and everyone kind of understood it as like oh this was a a rumor or a theory that you know isn't true but that being said it kept spreading and the story evolved over time and since the late 19th century or early 20th century spiritualists have stuck with this story of lemuria and turned it into this whole idea of that there were there were this race of people that existed and that some of them might still live on Mount Shasta. So now, it since it's been so long, it's like, okay, well, is it really a debunked theory? Or is this something that could have been true? Right. The line is very gray. Okay. Um, especially for a lot of people that live near Mount Shasta. A lot of them swear that Lemurians are real people. Got it. Um, so nowadays, the story goes that Lemuria was a huge, a huge continent. It... Uh, it was a highly advanced group of people that lived there. And the first uh, appearances of Lemurians to um, the human race started happening in the 1890s. So 30 years after this zoologist came up with this idea. Okay. So 30 years later, people had remembered the story, but now people are starting to say like, oh, no, I've seen one. Ooh. So the first one was in 1893. And then in 1899. So in 1899, there was actually, um, or sorry, in 1893, there was a book called A Dweller on Two Planets by Frederick Oliver. And so Frederick Oliver, he wrote this book that said as a teenager, he was taking notes while working and his hand began to shake and convulse uncontrollably. And he began to write down things that he was not in control of writing. Someone else was almost writing for him. Uh Uh-huh. And his hand did this all night long, and he was writing for hours, and eventually his hand stopped. Um, It stopped, like, for the day. But this became a regular occurrence for, like, three years for him, that his hand would just start automatic writing. Oh, I love this shit. So this was in 1893, and by 1895, his hand had written an entire book about a town called Lemuria. Well, that that must be nice. Oh, my (laughs) my hand just wrote a book. I don't know. My hand. Oh no that that his that history book does have my name attached to it, but it's really just my hand. <laughs> so if it's not true, don't sue me. My hand wrote it, not me. But also, um, my hand doesn't have a bank account, so all the proceeds will go to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> you can hand it over to me. Wow. Oh, ouch. So uh, 
So yeah, his hand wrote an entire book about a random town called Lemuria, which again, no one had really paid attention to in the last 30 years, but Azuel just thought of it back way back then. Yeah. Um, and he, so Frederick Oliver, the guy who wrote, wrote this book or whose hand wrote this book, mm-hmm. he believes that he was chosen by the Lemurians specifically to be used for automatic writing to tell their story. Okay. So I told you last time that I wanted your input a little bit on what like, because you did Akashic Records and things like that. So yeah, I don't want to sound ignorant. Can you explain what um, automatic writing is? Um, I don't know too much about automatic writing. I mean, I think the idea is essentially that you uh, like open yourself up to um, like a, a superior self or a higher self or kind of a super conscious uh, mm-hmm. uh, entity or whatever it may be uh, to like right through you and you basically are supposed to kind of turn off your any sort of judgment um and that kind of thing and you know some people say you can train to do it and some people um think it you know is is like a specific psychic ability um and basically i'm sure some people think it's like also like bunk science yeah, or something. yeah 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 it's definitely like pseudoscience but um yeah it's like you you know you kind of a lot of people also use it during seances, right? To yes, talk to... yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically like a different, like something else is taking control of your, of your, of your words mm. to kind of speak through you, like you're a vessel, sort of. Gotcha. Essentially, okay. and whether that's like your own higher self speaking, or like like in a seance, a spirit, or whatever it may be. Gotcha. Yeah. So that is that's what Frederick Oliver thinks happened to him, which led him to write this book. And the book again was called A Dweller on Two Planets. In case you wanted to check it out, I do. Um, so. Later on, after writing this book, uh, Frederick also started saying that he had actually, he was not just writing about Lemuria anymore, but over time he had begun to astral project to Lemuria himself. Ooh, that's interesting. And so he had seen the city that he had been writing about. And so not only were the Lemurians using him for automatic writing, but they were even letting him get little snippets of the city so he could feel confident in it. Um, He said that he saw, quote, Tunnels, secret passageways, apartments made of gold, high technology gadgets, and airship vehicles. And he said that the city was, quote, decked out in crystals, gold, silver, bronze, and precious stones powered by crystal energies, brightly illuminated, and was inaccessible to outsiders. Wow. Um, And again, they are said to live in a city made of crystals and stones, so that checks out. Um, This is a quote about the book itself um, back in the 1800s. The book was quite groundbreaking and ahead of its time when it was released, making detailed mention of such high concept notions as quantum mechanics, anti-gravity, mm. mass transit, and zero point energy, which he actually called dark side energy. But all of those, so all those things like had not yet been invented or discussed. Oh. And he was talking about all of them in this book. So even if it was total bullshit and he was just writing like the very first science fiction book ever, he created all of these concepts people weren't thinking about. Wow, that's fascinating. That's really so, cool. Yeah, it does lead a little bit to like, okay, Lemurians could be real if he's actually seeing something that nobody's ever even thought of. Right, um, right, right. And so this book ended up becoming a classic for a lot of occultists, and it was huge in the New Age community just because it was a book that nobody had heard of before. Sure. Or a concept no one had heard of before. So um, now we're time traveling to the 1930s. And there's a guy named Harvey Spencer Lewis, and he also wrote a book on lost cities and societies. And from here, the accounts of Lemuria really took off. So by the 1930s, people were really believing in Lemurians 
compared to any other time. Interesting. Um, so apparently uh, he had said that Lemurians ruled the world for 4.5 million years ago until 12,000 years ago. And then, oh. and then human existence started uh, presenting itself. And that's when... <laughs> Yeah, we presented ourselves. Hello, <laughs> we certainly did. What and they were like, "We're out of here, man." <laughs> they were like, "This is too much." Nope. <laughs> so Lemurians are said to be um, just to give you a description of them. They are ten to twelve feet tall. Um, some people say that they can be as small as seven feet tall. So really, oh, so tiny. Seven to twelve. Um, they're pale, they have long, light hair, and as time has gone on, they have developed more and more supernatural abilities, at least in the stories that people have told. It could just be like a game of telephone and people are adding powers to them. But Right, okay. That being said, they're known to be very graceful, very thin, very tall, fair skin, long hair. A lot of people have said they have abnormally long necks that are decorated with a bunch of precious stones and crystals. Sounds a lot like me. I mean, me. <laughs> Like, I'm just picturing myself and my long gold-filled neck and, you know, dripping with gems. Yeah. Well, we do have a, a subreddit only about your neck. I didn't want to tell you about it, but <laughs> a lot of people have been asking if that's natural. And I say, oh, uh, no. Oh, no. One say, of a kind. Super, it's supernatural. She's a Lemurian. <laughs> She's just a Don't little... worry about it. Seen Lemurian Chiefer. Um, yeah, there's my nickname. There it is. So they are often also in white robes and sandals, sometimes just nude. Christine, would you like to comment? Actually, yeah, it's starting to really fall into place. (laughs) It's like, wow, I think I'm a Lemurian when I'm in the shower. That's pretty crazy. Or just like walking around because, listen, it's quarantine (laughs) season, baby. I don't have any qualms anymore. Time and concepts. It's just not a concept anymore. Clothing means nothing to me anymore. Clothing's a construct. So Clothing's a construct. So, uh... They apparently also have mastered various advanced technologies such as atomic energy, magnetism, and electricity. So their city is allegedly, according to the people who have seen the city and lived to tell the tale, um, they say that their city is lit with an artificial sun that they themselves power by some unknown electric source. Oh. Um, And they're said to also influence the environment. So they are known to help with nature um, apparently they've been known to help farmers revive their crops based on some sort of advanced agricultural abilities they have. Oh, they've often been seen, uh, suddenly disappearing or reappearing and then disappearing as if they were never there at all. Apparently a lot of people have mentioned that they have, uh, like a golf ball sized organ from on their foreheads. Oh, what? And and it apparently gives them psychic powers such as ESP, telekinesis, telepathy, mind control, and teleporting or going invisible at will. Oh, well, that would be where your third eye is. So maybe that's kind of part of that. That's actually, a, I hadn't even thought of that. That's, that's a really smart. That's very interesting. You would know since you're the Lemurian. I'm telling you, I, I'm pretty wise. I got a big lump on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they also are known to use energy, crystals, vibrations, and more to preserve the culture and records of ancient Earth's history. Whoa. So from the very beginning, a lot of people have been saying that they can at will move between the third, fourth, and fifth dimensions. Whoa. They can harness crystal energy and they can travel through space and communicate through telepathy. Um, they ha- It's been said that they live between 50,000 and 100,000 years. Um, and they could be descendants of ancient aliens. This was actually very interesting. One of the articles I read uh, ended up calling Earth a um, 
an extraterrestrial melting pot <laughs> because uh, because these Lemurians could be descendants of ancient aliens from multiple planets, and this is almost like their home base. So they could all be coming from different areas for whatever reason that might be. Um, so I guess because a lot of people have said that on Mount Shasta, they've seen normal UFOs, they've seen like clouds that look like UFOs, and that's kind of unprecedented. Um, they've, a lot of people have suggested that these aren't extraterrestrials, but ultra terrestrials, which have more connections to human beings. Oh. And the fact that the fact that these creatures are maybe a hundred thousand years old, maybe they're even descendants of, like I said, ancient aliens. So a totally different breed. Jeez. So they think that this could be quote, a melting pot for aliens. <laughs> um, I love that term so much. <laughs> It's so inclusive. It is. Um, so it a little better than what I pictured the world, but okay. Oh, definitely. On their flag, I think like E.T. is on it. It's like a Aww. pride flag, but E.T. on it. I love it. Um, so Atlantis and like the Atlantean people, um, they apparently showed up millions of years after the Lemurians, oh. but they but they became just as advanced very quickly. So I do plan on covering Atlantis at some point, just so we're clear. This is actually giving me like goose cam a little bit because I yesterday started listening to the Astonishing Legends episode on uh, Edgar Casey and his thoughts on Atlantis or like his uh, reading, his trance readings on Atlantis and past life readings. And I literally wrote down in my notes, like ask M to cover Atlantis. Oh, I, and then I've, I've just gotten like really obsessed with it in the last 24 hours. So it's just very trippy that you said that anyway. Uh, okay. Well, good. Okay, cool. So it's a sign. Lemuria is supposed to be the, the Atlantis before Atlantis, but mm-hmm. uh, so the Atlantean people apparently showed up after Lemurians, but they became just as advanced uh, pretty quickly. So by the time that they were around and Lemurians were around, they were both equally um, advanced next to each other. So for a long time, they coexisted in peace, but apparently there's one story that suggests that the people of Atlantis and the people of Lemuria began to disagree about civilizations on Earth evolving and like their role in it. So Lemurians thought that new civilizations on Earth, aka human beings, were coming into into existence and uh, Lemurians thought that they should evolve on their own, but people in Atlantis wanted to uh, be a part of their evolution and guide them. Oh, and so this led to war between Atlantis and Lemuria over time, and it ends up destroying both of their continents and altering the continental plates. Oh, no. So uh, Lemuria was so damaged from war that their city was starting to sink. And they knew that it was it was just a matter of time before Lemuria did go into the ocean. So they made moves to save themselves. So they started reaching out to this other group of of people called the Agharta. A-G-H-A-R-T-A, Agharta. Okay. And apparently this group of people were known to rule all of Earth's underground cities. So they made, um, the underground cities were like made of roadways and caverns left by ancient volcanoes. And the Agharta, they ruled all of this. So the Lemurians went to them and said, we know that we messed up. We started war. Um, with another group of people and we learned our lesson but we're afraid that our city is going to sink um, and at this point I think Atlantis had already sank so they were terrified about what was going to happen to them so the Agarda picked out a cavern inside Mount Shasta and built this city of crystal to house 200,000 Lemurians oh and so okay. the Agarda said 
okay, well, everyone start moving into Mount Shasta, into this underground city called Telos, or Telos. And so basically the plan was all the Lemurians would then move into Mount Shasta before Lemurians sank. So unfortunately, overnight Lemuria sank a lot earlier than expected and most people were asleep. So only 25,000 of them were able to escape and make it to this new city. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like a whole, there's a whole wild history to it. And again, I don't know how much of this is accurate or just like, you know, after decades of stories being told. But sure. But in theory, 25,000 of the Lemurians were able to escape and make it into the city. And so that's how they all ended up in Talos, which is in Mount Shasta. Wow. So let's see. Oh, so Atlantis, after it sank, the effects of both continents sinking. Um, so after Atlantis and Lemuria sank, um, the effects of that and the war that they had had with each other left Earth's surface uninhabitable for 2,000 years. Okay. And uh, it's said that to this day, Lemurians inhabit the crystal city of Talos inside Mount Shasta, which is um, now they say about a million of them exist. Oh, that wow. They've repopulated over, over time. Um, they are apparently ruled by a king and queen, as well as a high priest who leads a uh, parliamentary council. And sometimes a Lemurian will actually leave Talos to go into town for modern supplies. And people know this because what's weird about them is they will always pay in gold nuggets. <laughs> also, what's weird about them is they're like abnormally large necks and sometimes they're nude. And they're like 11 feet. And <laughs> they're naked. <laughs> and they're 11 feet tall. Yeah, there's a couple of things that are a little bit off. Oh, my God. But apparently they'll pay for things in gold nuggets and they'll pay for them. Like if you buy like a pack of gum, they'll leave like gold nuggets that are valued at much more than a pack of gum right because right, they don't right. really understand oh they don't really understand our currency and so apparently shopkeepers have taken the gold and then like double took to like ask them what this was and then all of a sudden the person will be gone Ooh, that's spooky so today there are several residents in nearby towns that actually believe they are descendants of lemurians <gasps> wow. or that lemurians have selected them to be channels throughout the town Whoa. Um, it's also actually validated by some of the indigenous tribes lore of, quote, Shasta people who lived on the land long before natives ar- ever arrived. Okay. So they say that the Shasta people were the people before they got there. And the Shasta people were ruled by a great king who brought a small group of who brought a small group of their people over from an unknown mysterious land that sank. Oh, Interesting. And when the Native Americans came, the Shasta people, I guess, were driven out or moved elsewhere, and maybe they moved into the mountain. I see. So that actually apparent, and excuse me if I'm wrong, but the the stories that I found online suggest that Shasta people and Lemurians could be uh, like the, maybe the same race of people, but different um, stories behind it, or um, just how stories have changed over time they might be two different people might be the same group of people i'm not sure wow so there is here are just a couple of the accounts of people who have ran into these lemurians so uh there was apparently a lemurian woman who emerged from the forest one day in full view of a group of people and this was in the dead of winter and this woman just lied down in the ice water for like five minutes oh my god and then she silently got back up and just walked back into the forest Oh my god! Um, so who knows What's what she's she doing? 
I don't know. My guess is like maybe something agricultural. Like maybe she was doing something to like help the crops. I don't know. She's like peeing in the water or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, here, let me contribute to our agricultural growth. <laughs> <laughs> um, another time, numerous there were numerous sightings of a boat that um, came up to shore, but then every time it would leave, it would hover in the air and levitate back to the mountain. Ooh, okay. Also, a Lemurian was allegedly seen in San Francisco. Um, during World War One, and he was in a white robe with a group of men, and he met with city officials to bring <gasps> them warm wishes. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> he was like, that could have gone in many directions. You were just like warm muffins, but it was pretty similar. Like, <laughs> oh, hello, I'm just here. They love a good gift basket. Yeah, love- I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Uh, there's also uh, a man who found the city of Talos. And said it was 20 miles long, 15 miles wide, and 2 miles high, and it was illuminated by a gigantic artificial sun. So that yeah. that validates other people saying they've seen that. Yeah. There was one guy who said that he fell asleep on the mountain and woke up, was woken up by a Lemurian who led him to the city paved with gold. <gasps> and there was a woman named Bonnie who actually, so she, I guess, was a... Uh, a stage performer and was known as Atlantis on stage. And I guess Bonnie got to pick her own name. So she picked Atlantis, interestingly enough. And she also mm-hmm. claimed to be a representative of the Lemurians. Oh my. Okay. And uh, so Bonnie, I don't know about this, but Bonnie ended up changing her name later to Sharula ducks and began giving prophecy workshops and now goes by princess Sharula. Okay. And she claims she is related to Lemurians and had actually seen the city of Talos herself, calling it a techno-spiritual city. And she claimed that her father was the high priest of Talos, and he was over 200 years old. And although she looked 20-ish, she said she was 50. Whoa, okay. And then she warned people that California was going to sink in 1982. Oh. So Bonnie doesn't sound like she's totally accurate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not... not 100 percent, maybe i don't want to knock bonnie's beliefs but bonnie's making a lot of tall claims here so a lot of claims um so there's another beautiful state which has not (laughs) sunk as far as i can tell anyway right um but so bonnie claims that she was just one of the lemurians that was living amongst others and that her father was one of the lemurian royalty i guess i mean i used to tell people my dad was an astronaut because i was like a, a bratty liar kid um and I just wanted to brag. So I don't know. <laughs> when I was when I was five, um, so my mom, she travels for a living. And so all I knew about her job was, uh, well, my teacher asked, what does your mom do during like show and tell? So right. I set up in front of everyone. And I said, my mom goes to hotels at night and gets money and then comes home. <laughs> oh, dear Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, mom says that she still uses that at work. She still tells people about that. That's I'm like, a great little anecdote, to. though. I love it. <laughs> uh and so anyway uh, there's another account from only 2011 where there was a hiker um who heard a female voice singing in the forest and i guess got lured by this voice to go follow it and then this guy went missing for weeks and when they found him he claimed he was lulled into a very dark cave with an unusually tall woman with blue eyes and a strange uniform and he remembers uh, having his clothes stripped off of him. Uh-oh. And then this tall woman um, gave him secret information, which he refuses to divulge to people. Whoa, okay. 
But very shortly after, whatever he was told, he then went on to change his name to Lord Kalki and instead uh, and insisted that he was an incarnation of a Hindu god. Oh my. Okay. This is why I don't want to go hiking. This yeah. is why <laughs> this is why I said no to that oh Bumble BFF god. person. I don't need to be Lord Kalki. I don't need that. No. You don't need to be lured into a cave for weeks. We have to do a <laughs> fucking podcast. I can't have you gone naked in a cave for two weeks. I need you here to do work with me. I hear you and I agree. Um, <laughs> there was also another account of a little boy who was lost in Mount Shasta uh, in the forest for like five hours. Um, apparently, he was with a group of people and he was amongst the group. He wasn't behind them or in front of them. He was in the middle of all of them, and apparently everyone just kind of blinked, and he was gone. He just was <gasps> oh, teleported no. away. Oh, no. He reappeared that later that day, but he said he had been abducted by a robot that looked identical to his grandmother. What? And then he was taken into a cave filled with spiders, a.k.a. like $1.2 million worth of tarantulas. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's, he got sucked into my Animal Crossing island. That's my, that's my mistake. Oh my God. That's, but by the way, I'm sorry, a cave full of spiders. No. Truly a nightmare. No. So he said he was, he was taken by a robot that looked like his grandma. And that's why he went with the, the robot. Cause he thought it was his grandma. Interestingly, later they actually interviewed his grandma who was not with them on that trip, but the grandma actually had gone camping there only a few weeks earlier. <gasps> And she says that when she was camping on Mount Shasta, she had a weird night where she woke up the next morning face down in the dirt, nowhere near her tent. She was just (gasps) face down in the dirt. She felt really sick. And also emotionally, she felt very blank, like emotionless. Oh, my God. And she found a puncture wound on her neck that looked really weird, but she assumed it was a spider bite. Oh, fucking A. And this is creepy. And so the fact that she woke up after kind of like blacking out, she felt emotionless and there was a puncture wound that looked like the bite of the animal that mm-hmm. her grandson ended up in. Apparently these were all signs. I, these like all, all these symptoms equate to something, which is that it was potentially not actually a robot, but an, an alien robot hybrid. Okay. Apparently, we don't know about this now, but back in the 1940s, it was like a very common theory like a supernatural theory that there was something called darrows and darrows were it was a shortened like a contraction of detrimental robots oh okay that doesn't sound good so this guy named richard shaver um apparently he says he he was the one that coined the phrase darrow or detrimental robots back in the 40s um and apparently they were robots of or tech hmm they were robots slash technology of the Lemurian people that had gone wrong. Oh, shit. Oh, they've like gone so, rogue or something? Yeah. So like they like, oh, no. they apparently were like malfunctioning technology that liked to torment humans and possibly even steal their DNA for the sole purpose of mimicking people they trusted. Oh, no, that's bad news, bears. I don't like and that. S- so when you put together like what that little like the little boy who followed a robot that looked like his grandma and then his grandma only a couple weeks earlier had been in those same woods and had this experience it just all kind of adds up if to anything to the fact that maybe these you know these advanced technologies gone wrong that mimic people right could exist 
as well as these cryptids and aliens and spirits and energies on this mountain. And uh, Richard Shaver, the guy who coined this term, he actually introduced this theory again in the 1940s, which was right before the UFO craze of the 50s. So even though he was, quote, onto something and he was getting a lot of followers and a lot of people were believing him, and apparently Darrow's were like this huge concept people were freaked out by, only a couple years later when UFOs became this huge thing, Darrow's became this obsolete theory because so many other, all these other stories about aliens like kind of flooded the idea of Darrow's. Right. Okay. Got it. That's interesting. I never heard that before. Me either. It, like, I yeah. had no idea. If you know someone who was alive in the 40s, ask them about Darrow's. Oh, please. Um, so beforehand, uh, his theories, so before like the UFO craze, his theories were used by many UFOologists, but also by many like hollow and flat earth believers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also claimed that a lot of languages, so I'm bringing all this up. This does come back to Lemurians at some point, but um. So Schaefer also claimed that he had learned that languages all stem from Lemurian language. And after years, he claims that he had finally deciphered Lemurian, like the language. And what's interesting about this, I I brought everything up about Richard Schaefer because I wanted to bring up alien robots. And I also wanted to bring up uh, this weird little, another validation that Lemurians could be real. Yeah. Is that, um, so he said that he deciphered their language. And what's interesting about this is, this is a quote from one of the articles I read. The complex language and writing system presented by Shaver Shaver are actually considered to be enormously detailed, meticulous, and quite linguistically accurate. And so for him to have been able to break down Lemurian language and for people in that field to take it seriously is just interesting to yeah me. no actually really yeah so um going back to i told you at the very beginning of all this that lemurians uh started their story started spreading because of two accounts in the 1890s so i told you the one earlier about frederick oliver who wrote that book with right. his hand right <laughs> right the other one i'm i wo- i waited to talk about because it's got a little more de- detail to it um but so this happened in 1896 there was a guy who was climbing the mountain. He got tired and he took up shelter in one of the caves that he had found on the mountain. And he says that he actually woke up to a group of white robed and extremely tall uh, people who telepathically made him feel at peace and not afraid of the fact that they found him. Oh, well, that's nice. I think so. It could, yeah. again, could have gone in many different directions. Yeah. yeah. Um, they led him further into the mountain. And again, this was all telepathically where they were telling him what to do. Okay. They led him further into the mountain and the path was apparently lit by torches that had glowing crystals in them instead of flames. <gasps> cool. And uh, again, you couldn't see this from the, the normal mountain paths. They took him down a route that no one would have ever found. Um, sure. At the end of the path, there was a giant metal door that opened to a glowing city by a uh, and it was lit by this big ball of light, which could have been an artificial sun, mm. hovering over the town. So the entire town was glowing by this big ball of light. Um, the people took him in a, quote, advanced vehicle, brought him around the city, and he witnessed, quote, miraculous sights that defy logic. Ooh. 
Then they took him back to the cave and they warned him that if humankind does not abandon their warlike ways, nations will destroy each other. And that they only knew this because they had experienced it themselves. That's true. And actually learned from their lesson. I was about to call them hypocrites, but like, okay, yeah, no, they're making a good point. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, we've been there. Don't do it. Yep, yep, yep. So only um, a couple years later, apparently there started being all these crazy forest fires on Mount Shasta back in the 30s. So um, a specific one was 1931. There was a forest fire and it it was kept from advancing. It's it's kind of weird. So there was this huge forest fire and out of nowhere, it just stopped Ooh. by this mysterious fog or this mist that just kind of halted, it like extinguished the fire. Ooh. Um, People started going out and investigating, and they later found that there was a perfectly clear and curved demarcation zone that was found between the charred ground and the undamaged ground. So it was like perfect lines around where the fire was curved oh my away. God. And what's interesting is that these perfect lines around where the fire was, you could see that all the lines kept the fire from going any further towards a specific part of land where everyone swears is where Talos is. Oh my god. Goose cam. So just like how they have um, some sort of agricultural abilities, it's been thought that either they were they have this technology, this invisible technology that was almost like a, a fence to keep the fire out, or just through telepathy and knowing a fire was nearby, they just shut it down before it could get any closer. Well, that must be nice. Just telepathy. <laughs> yeah. Firefighting. <laughs> Just, mm, I don't want that fire uh, anymore. Thank you. Stop. Um, locals also claim that the Lemurians caused, uh, like like I said, that they caused this weird fence to stop the fire. Yep. Um, but also that this led to the rumor that Lemurian city structures are impervious to natural disasters. Oh, interesting. So that would explain why, since at least the 1800s, if not like thousands of years ago if there's ever been an earthquake or anything like that talos has always been fine interesting okay um another fire happened only a year later and this time a guy named edward lancer was on a train next to the uh mountain when he saw the fire happening and he saw that the fire had a really strange color to it it was actually green oh and he said that he talked to the train conductor and was like what the hell is that green forest fire out there and the train conductor and the locals all said, oh, don't worry. That's just the Lemurians performing rituals in the oh. early morning and night. What the fuck? Okay. Well, I guess like this sure, train. Con- sure, 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 sure. So I guess because they were locals, the locals were like, oh, we're used to that. That just happens every now and then. Don't worry about it. And I guess the per- based on the time uh, of the year where he saw this fire and the fact that it was a weird color and people thought it was this ritual Lemurians were performing... I guess the locals were able to confirm that this ceremony is actually called the, quote, Ceremony of Adoration to Guatama. And apparently Guatama is the Lemurian word allegedly for America. Oh. And so this ritual celebrates the like the Lemurians uh, making their home on Mount Shasta. So it was like maybe their anniversary or something of that. Oh, that's their little carnival. Yeah. I thought so. And so he ended yeah, up, fun. he ended up getting really interested in them. And he was like, okay, so tell me about the Lemurian people. He heard about how they leave gold nuggets everywhere when they pay for things. He also found out, and this was around the time where this became part of the, the lore of Lemurians is that the only time people the Lemurian people go into town is because they're trying to buy enormous quantities of sulfur, salt, and lard. Oh, all right. So I don't, 
I don't know what they're going to do with those three things specifically, but if you happen to live in, near Mount Shasta and you happen to see what looks like a Lemurian person, they're probably only out of the mountain for one of those three things. Wow. Okay. Um, and I know this is long, but I've got two more stories for you real quick. No, so, tell me them all. So this is my favorite one. This happened in 1934. So this was two years after those fires. And uh, the newspaper called the Stockton Record reported about an incident involving a man named J.C. Brown. And so J.C. Brown was a geologist back in 1904. So, and this um, article came out in 1934. So it was 30 years after the story of J.C. Brown. Right. Um, So he was a geologist and he was working at Mount Shasta for a mining company doing a job. And he noticed a really strange rock formation. And he noticed that it was darker than the surrounding canyon and that it was blocked off, that the cave entrance was blocked off. And so he was like, well, that doesn't make sense. So he tried to move the rocks. And after a lot of effort, he actually ended up finding his way into the cave. Mm. And he said that he found this descending tunnel and he went in with a lantern and ended up walking like three miles. And he saw that the, sorry, I'm having heartburn. Um, <laughs> Did you eat some dairy, Em? I ate a lot of dairy. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he went in with a lantern. He walked three miles. And he saw that the tunnel forked and at the left, it appeared to have already been like some mining had already happened there as far as he knew. So he decided to go right because it seemed more mysterious. Um, he walked another 11 miles and then he 11 found the miles. Actual- Sorry. I Again, this is why I don't go hiking. I agree I with you. I'm fully on board with you now. This is insane. <laughs> he found, he literally found Talos by accident. He said that he found a chamber or he, he found multiple chambers filled with gold, silver, and copper tablets with, hierogly- with hieroglyphics carved into them. And um, he saw 13 golden copper cross statues, mm-hmm. but they weren't like the Christian cross. They were the sun cross. So they were like the equilateral cross inside a circle. Sure, yeah. So he found 13 golden copper statues of that. Apparently, all of these statues glowed. And that left JC to believe that they were made of radium. He also saw a bunch of ancient swords, shields, golden chalices, crystals, and ornate statues made of gold. And in the next chamber, he found um, expertly made copper weaponry. And a lot of lard. A lot of lard, like a slide, a slide made of lard. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only thing we can come up with of what you would use lard for. It's slippery. A slide. Um, and then he also found a lot more um, advanced technology he couldn't explain made of bronze. And then he found 27 skeletons of people <gasps> that looked like they could have been up to 11 feet tall. Ooh. And they were uh, there was also an embalmed couple in another chamber that was Ooh. they looked like they were maybe embalmed and royal. Maybe they were royalty because oh. they were treated better than the other skeletons. So he thought maybe they were previous like a king and queen. Right. Um, JC said he actually took pictures before coming back to the surface of the, the cave. So he tried to actually take photographs of all this. Yeah. But he still believes he found the Lemurian city and thinks that they're, for some reason, he thinks that they're extinct now. Oh, weird. Like he just found the ruins of it or something? That, yeah. I think maybe he just, based on everyone else's stories, I think maybe he just found like a, like a part of it that like just they don't use a lot like yeah like a tomb or something like storage like yeah um, what yeah they store where they store the dead people just the storage room 
<laughs> so the lard and the the dead royalty. It's just a slide for the skeletons, actually. Sli- <laughs> right. It's like a playground and also a, a tomb. Right. The, you yeah, nailed it. It seems to make sense infrastructurally and also like an artificial sun made of radium or something so oh there's that too yeah so he ended up um also for if everyone's stories are that that this cave always closes on them or that it's impossible for outsiders to get into like does that mean their security guard was like off that day yeah what happened maybe like i imagine how like your wi-fi goes out sometime maybe their like powers go out and like ah their crystals weren't charged i think their cloaking mechanisms were like on the fritz i see i see so he went on to study this stuff for like 30 years like he got really hooked on it wow he became like allegedly one of the best geologists or archaeologists on this topic and then he 30 years later was like i'm gonna go back i want to see if it's still there so he got a team of 80 men to agree to go with him to talos and many of the men even like sold their belongings and quit their jobs (gasps) because jc told them like how much value worth of gold was down there oh geez he said like 92 tarantulas or something <laughs> like I gotta quit my fucking job. We gotta go. So uh the men all decided to meet on June nineteenth at one PM to begin their expedition. But JC never showed and some think he like made it all up and ran off, or maybe the Lemurians knew what he was about to do and so they abducted yeah. him or killed him. Oh god. But this article came out like like when he was in the middle of trying to set up this expedition and he was just never seen again. Okay, that's creepy on so many levels. Yeah. And I don't even know why, but what's what's even creepier about it is like to this day he was never found again. He never returned to Stockton. (gasps) And some of the 80 men even said that in private conversations that they had had with JC, he was really paranoid and weird because he had said he was being followed by shadow (gasps) figures. All right. And for like 30 years, these shadows would like whisper to him to like leave Mount Shasta alone. Oh, boy. And then then he's like, hey, let's go pillage it. Exactly. And then all of a sudden he was never seen again. Man. Oh, no, that's scary. So that's my favorite story of that. But a couple years later in 1940, um, the Mount Shasta Herald had an article about a guy named Edward Larkin. And he claimed that he could see Talos through his telescope on several occasions because he allegedly... Um, I guess he allegedly discovered the city by accident because he was calibrating his telescope and saw something shiny. <laughs> so his telescope. Don't you do that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love that. Wait a minute. I regret it. I regret it. Someone make a shirt. Someone make a shirt. So <laughs> we're gonna have a telescope. I guarantee you that, like in two weeks, if somebody does, we're like, we're gonna be like, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> Why did we never said that? Draw a bunch of eleven-foot people around a telescope. Um, so it's me. Yeah, yeah. just draw okay, a bunch of eleven-foot Christines on a telescope. Oh God, it's getting worse. <laughs> so uh, apparently, he saw something shiny, and so he went back to refocus his lens to see what it was, and he saw a temple with six hundred to a thousand people surrounding the temple oh god and he, okay and he called the temple quote a marvelous work of carved marble and onyx oh and he apparently saw other temples on the mountainside as well including ones that were like in a greek style or had like they were even more elaborate um and he said that the temples would have mysterious bright lights at night and he believed that these lights were again made by the lemurians almost as if they were smaller artificial suns mm. and he, larkin uh, had said quote 
their display of light far excels our modern electrical achievements. So it was Whoa. like nothing he'd seen before. And my understanding of it was he could only see this when he was looking through the telescope. But then when he wasn't, all of a sudden they were invisible oh, or he weird. couldn't see them. I don't know how accurate that is, but um, allegedly he could only see them through this telescope. And then he never saw them with his own eyes um, outside of this event. Right. Um. So in 1952, uh, there was a spiritual guru named Erlin. And Erlin and her husband were told telepathically um, to go to Mount Shasta. And when they did, they were climbing um, one of the cliffs and a man met them there who happened to know a lot about them. Uh-oh. And he took them to a secret temple. And to this, I, I don't know about to this day, I don't think Erlin's around. But I've, for the rest of her life, she swore that this man took them to a secret temple and initiated them into, quote, the cave of the mystic circle. Whoa. And apparently, I guess she had been deemed to be one of the Lemurian associates or, you know, someone that yeah. worked with the Lemurians. And she claims that she was also part of a ceremony that got held at the Great Pyramid of Egypt, which is interesting because that's one of the other chakras on Earth. That's right. So in theory, if Lemurians are working with humans, maybe they're bringing them to all these chakras to get them like some sort of spiritual enlightenment. Ooh. And once initiated, Erlin said that she could now see a, quote, inner great temple on the mountain and a cathedral that was lit by a giant star. But only those who have been initiated like her can see these things and lesser more mortals cannot see them, which kind of also plays into when Edward could see things through this telescope, but he couldn't see them with his, quote, mortal eyes. Right. Okay. Wow. That's really weird. Um, and then the last story I have for you is in the 70s when the Mount Shasta Herald wrote an account of a guy named Virgil Larson, who said that he was a logger and working at Mount Shasta. And um, he got separated from his friend and could hear him, but didn't know where he was. So he was kind of just following the sound of his friend. But Virgil also started hearing the sound of a third person hiking down the slope and thought maybe it was a Forest Service member or something like that. Yeah. But then from behind the bushes, Virgil saw a tall, dark-haired creature Something beyond human, Virgil says, Uh-oh. who looked very tall and had a stench like a, quote, half rotten bear hide. Oh, no. But only, so half, he, only half rotten, though. Only half, not, not fully. And uh, so he ran and found his friend. And when they both came back to the spot where Virgil had seen this, it was probably 30 minutes later, but the smell was still there. <clears throat> and they determined that the creature must have been almost eight feet tall. And so they think that that was uh, either a cryptid Bigfoot or maybe another Lemurian because of how tall it was. Right. But they don't know what it was, but that was the last, as far as I could find, the last documented account of someone finding something odd on Mount Shasta. And that is the story of the Lemurians slash Holy Mount Shasta. Holy shit. I cannot believe I've never heard of this before. It was a lot of information. I'll tell you That's- what. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I mean, no, don't be sorry. I like I'm obsessed with it. I I think this kind of stuff is so interesting. Um bananas, I'd say. And I like don't know much of anything about Atlantis, but I would love if you did that someday. I mean, not next week because I'm sure you're (laughs) you're uh you need a break from all this. (laughs) I'm sleepy. (laughs) I'm sleepy. Um, but wow, that was crazy. Yeah. Crazy stuff. I wonder I was just thinking about that couple who's like, oh, we were psychically told. I wonder if like I feel like 
can you imagine if the two of us one of us was like oh i was psychically told it's like oh yeah me too yeah no i yeah totally i did too i'm coming too <laughs> i feel like it's easy to just be like oh yeah i also hear that same voice i feel like at I some point you have to kind of realize that either you're on board or you're not when all of a sudden you're exactly when all of a sudden your wife is like no we went to the the fucking pyramids and also now i can see a cathedral made out of a star with my bare eyes like and you're like i'm in this too deep <laughs> like i don't know how to get out of this <laughs> yeah it's beautiful i see it too honey okay <laughs> oh my god uh, i mean good for them if they both heard it that's great exactly that's great. i'm happy for them good for them i hope they're doing well I do too. Um, all right. Well, I guess it is my turn to tell you of a true crime story. Love a good true crime. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This is the story of Nancy Moyer. Okay. And uh, it was suggested by one of my close friends on Instagram, my Patreon close friend, Hunter X. Lawson. So thank you, Hunter. Um, I had not heard about the story before, so I was interested to learn a little more about it. Uh, I especially enjoyed uh, an episode on investigation discovery of Disappeared. Mm. If you want to watch it, it is season nine, episode 13, A Date with Danger. So. Date with danger. Yeah, I know. I need to start coming up with more clever uh, titles for my stories, but I'm just going to. No, I listen. You should just host a date with danger sometime. I, <laughs> I live a date with danger, Em. <laughs> By myself in my house. Okay. Uh, this is the story of Nancy Moyer. So 
Nancy, we're going to start at the beginning, was born November 22nd, 1972, and grew up in Olympia, Washington. Hmm. She was a super popular girl in high school, just very, like, down-to-earth, kind, bubbly, like, the type of person I got along with everyone, very outgoing. Um, after graduating high school, she attended Central Washington University, where she majored in accounting, and she met a guy named Bill Moyer. Okay. So the two, he was two years older than her and they started to date. And once they, once she graduated college at 24, uh, the two of them got married and this was in 1996. Okay. And they moved to the small town of Tenino, Washington. So in 1997, um, Nancy secured a prestigious position at a fiscal, as a fiscal analyst at the Department of Ecology. In, I know it's a that lot of words tough. that gave me a headache. Um, sounds like what Chandler Bing is like a transponder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's what she did. You know, you know, <laughs> uh, in Lacey, Washington. And she started this job and she was really young. She's in her twenties, but like her co- uh, colleagues who are uh, typically older uh, became really close with her and became like a second family. And so in 1999, um, a little over a year after she got married to Bill, she found out she was pregnant and was very excited. So she gave birth to their first daughter, Samantha, in 1999. And then Amanda, their second daughter, was born a couple years later. So she had two daughters with Bill. Mm. And after the her second daughter, Amanda, was born, Nancy's career kind of took off and she started rising the ranks uh, at work. And she loved her career and being a mother, but she and Bill kind of started to drift apart. And um, her, the people they interviewed, at least in this episode, to like her sister and her friends at work, believed that because she like had achieved so much so young, like she got married, had kids, you know, was married right out of college, had kids, started her Mm -hmm. one and only job, and she felt kind of like she missed out on a lot of things that younger people get to do. Sure. Like explore and, you know, date different people and, you know, kind of learn more about yourself. And so she kind of started to feel this like pull away from Bill. And so they decided to split up uh, in 2007. And the craziest part to me, at least, is that their their, uh, split up was so amicable that like neither of them felt the need to get a lawyer involved. Like, oh, wow. They just were like, hey, we're still going to be friends and take care of the kids. They're the ones that matter. I was like, must be nice. I was Um, like, damn, that kid is still going (laughs) to grow up stable and like a secure relationship of their own. What's that like? Uh, anyway, <laughs> so, like there's literally pictures of them hanging out with the kids after they got divorced. It's like, okay, sure. Literally a dream divorce. I don't even understand. I didn't think it was possible, but apparently it was. Uh, so they had a really amicable split and they were just really, you know, concerned with the kids. Um, and they brought no courts into the situation and they came up with their own custody situation. So Nancy had the girls Sunday to Thursday and Bill had them for the weekend. So Friday through Sunday. And they co-parented really well. Like both sides of the families were like very impressed with how well they managed raising the kids uh, separately. Uh, the the kids remained both of their priorities. Everything was like really friendly and the um, like custody split was really easy for everyone. And so about six months after uh, Nancy and Bill separated, she kind of starts to explore a little bit and start enjoying her life a little bit more. Uh, She got several tattoos to celebrate her newfound freedom. Um, You get it, girl. 
And <laughs> they were like all over her, like little ones, but they were like all over, just like fun little tattoos. Um, and since the girls were with their dad on the weekends, she started to kind of build her own social life. So she would casually date. She went to bars to meet up with coworkers or friends. And um, before she had pretty much only had a social life at work. And now she was able to kind of build up a social life with other people and make new friends outside of work. So she was like finally kind of living that 20 something life she felt like she had missed yeah. out on. Like get, catching up on everything. Exactly. Yeah. And all the tattoos she missed out on. All right. Her little <laughs> tattoos, the little I think dots it was everywhere. Like six or seven or something in a very oh, wow. quick succession. But um, the girls, so the girls on March 6, 2009, the girls are at their dad's house um, the day before. So Nancy was alone for the weekend, as usual. And she carpooled to and from work with a good friend and colleague, Matthew Vandrush. And on the way home, he was like, okay, what are you up to? Like, he and his wife were really close with Nancy. And he's like, what are you up to this weekend? And she's like, you know, I don't have the kids. I don't really have any plans. So I'm excited to just kind of like relax on my own for the weekend and have some time to myself. So Matthew dropped Nancy off at home around 5.15 p.m. And a little while later, she drives herself to the Thriftway Market down the street and picks up some wine and a few packs of cigarettes it's me time. She's having I a good time. It. So I'm like, okay, that sounds exactly like my life pre-quarantine. <laughs> it's, it's basically what I do now, except I would drive to the store to pick up wine instead of like order it on Postmates. So <laughs> love it. Okay. Um, and so a receipt shows that she paid for her stuff at 6.45 p.m. And it's a really small town. So a police officer was actually on the corner uh, running radar to like catch speeders. And he uh, he noticed Nancy arriving home with grocery bags around 9 p.m. And uh, around midnight, Nancy's neighbor hears her say, hurry up, let's get going. Then heard the sound of two car doors slam and a car driving away. Hmm. So that's the timeline of of March 6, 2009. So. okay. And what time what time did the neighbor hear her say that? So around midnight, she said. "Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, March 8th. So that was this, the night of the 6th. And so March 8th, you know, she, she uh, didn't really have plans that weekend, didn't have the kids. So no one was really like keeping tabs on what she was doing. So on March 8th, uh, Bill arrives at Nancy's at their scheduled time with the girls and they find the front door slightly ajar, which is a little alarming because right. Why? Like, why? Yeah. And it's a little bit it's not, you know, in her character. Um, so the bill, bill and the girls go inside to look for Nancy. Uh, she's not there. Uh, her car is in the driveway and nothing really seems to be wrong or amiss. But when he calls her cell phone, it rings on the counter and he's like, um, oh. that's strange. Like, I think if she went for a walk or went out with friends or whatever it may be, like she would have taken her purse and her keys and her phone, which were all on the counter right so they're like well you know maybe she went out without it they're just hoping for the best so bill and the two girls wait for a bit and then decide to head back um to bill's house thinking maybe she lost track of time like we'll call her later and see where she is um and before they leave samantha uh, the oldest leaves some circus peanuts candies on the coffee table for her mom because that was their favorite candy Aww. and so she's like oh i'll just leave some candy here for her uh for when she gets home which is just precious a really precious and sad detail um and she was nine at this point okay 
So after a few more hours, uh, they hadn't heard from Nancy, and Bill goes back to the house uh, to find she still hasn't returned home. He starts to call friends and family looking for her. Uh, no one has heard from her all weekend, and this is when he's like, okay, something's wrong. Um, the next morning, it was a Monday, and she didn't show up for work, and her coworkers were like, she has never missed a day of work. And even when she was running like 10 minutes late, she would call and say like, I'm so sorry, I'm running 10 minutes behind. Right. Like she's just not the type to not show up and not let anyone know. Sure. So Bill uh, at this point files a missing persons report with the Tenino Police Department. Um, and the report is turned over to a guy named Detective Holler of the Thurston County Sheriff's Office. And they decide to search Nancy's house. And they don't really see much like... Uh, telling evidence like there's no signs of a struggle um the television and several lights had been left on they did find a half drunk glass of wine and an empty glass next to it on the coffee table Mm, uh which is interesting because it kind of indicates like perhaps somebody was there with her sure if that makes sense um however the only fingerprints on them belonged to nancy so uh All the things someone would take with them to leave, like her ID, her keys, like I said, had been left in the house. Right. Um, The only thing that was not there was a uh, long brown coat that she often wore. So that was the only thing like missing out of the apartment. Okay. Uh, They did find her cigarettes that she had purchased on a chair cushion on the porch. So those were still there. Uh, And so the interesting thing that detectives did at this point, which I thought was really clever, is they got they got records of her utilities bills and they were able to see a spike in electricity and gas use. Interesting. Which, yeah, I know. And like which basically they used to determine when the door had been left open. Oh. Because, right? Like when the door was left open, obviously the heat had to crank up and the electricity. And so when they saw that spike in the middle of the night, they were like, that must have been when the door had been interesting i would have literally never thought about that never that's so smart i know and i just was he said the guy said it so matter of factly like yeah i just checked the utility i was like wait what the hell okay yeah that's something that they don't tell you that they train you for no exactly um so i was very impressed by that but basically they were able to determine that um with that information that she went missing or left the house friday night march 6th or early saturday morning sometime between 11 30 p.m and 12 a.m like, that's how specific of a window Jeez. they could. I know. Like, within a half-hour window, they could kind of pinpoint. So, uh, so despite – so, they looked into Nancy's background, and they were like, well, maybe there's some signs as to, like, maybe she left willingly or something like that. Um, and she did have some credit card debt. She owed $50,000 in debt that actually uh, nobody had really known. So, that was kind of a red flag. Um, but at this, and, and she had actually a lot of bills piled up that like she hadn't paid, which was strange because she's an accountant. Right. So, like she's definitely on top of that. Yeah. Like you'd think she'd be on top of it, but it looked like she had gotten herself into a pretty hefty amount of debt. Ooh. So that that was kind of a red flag that nobody had really known. Um, however, you know, she'd been a diligent employee for 12 years. She like loved her daughters more than anything in the world. Like it just didn't jive that she would have just walked out for that reason and, you know, ditched her daughters and her family. Right. It just didn't really add up. So, of course, being the husband, Bill was the first suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Na- even Nancy's own family was like, listen, she and Bill are like 
so close and like they care for each other so much, even though they're split. Right. Um, but so that he offered immediately to like do any sort of testing. He took a polygraph and passed right away. Um, and he was like so upset and he was eliminated as a suspect pretty early on. Um, and their next suspect was a coworker who was infatuated with Nancy. Uh Oh yeah. And like the way they described it, he's like, you know, those people who think they have a relationship with a celebrity but they've like concocted it in their head (laughs) makes oh no it's kind of like how i you know concocted a relationship with you in my head and our big friendship that doesn't actually (laughs) exist yeah same kind of idea oh so Um, just like how i got you like on the tractor at that farm with a farmer farmer bob and that's (laughs) we had it in my head that we've been best friends for years so you were like look it's it's just how it was always meant to be, how just I like, dreamed. Just like how I envisioned and just like how she envisioned. Right, exactly. Beautiful. <laughs> Yucko. Uh, so that was kind of the impression they gave about this coworker who allegedly was pretty obsessed with her um, and infatuated, for lack of a better term. Um, so he was the next suspect, but he appeared to have an alibi. Um, but then he, he this is kind of weird. He added that he says he called Nancy on March 6th just to check in and she didn't call back. So he went to her house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he said he found the door open and he went in and called for her, but she wasn't home. But and they said, "Well, would your fingerprints be in the house?" And he was like, "Well, you know, yeah, I walked all the way through her house and into her bedroom to look for her." So no. Probably my fingerprints are, you know, on the doorknobs and stuff. And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her her family's like, what the fuck? Like, why would this guy just wander in? Like, Especially when she actually, in fact, does not know him. Yeah. Well, he's like, they know each other because they're coworkers. But like, it's, they're not close, you right. know, like, it's just sketchy. Like, you wouldn't. He's like, well, I was worried about her. And they're like, because she didn't return your call on a Friday night. Like, that's- like you guys don't talk on the phone. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it was just a little bit weird. Um, but otherwise, Nancy didn't seem to have any, like, disputes with anyone or any enemies. Um, they did, however, discover that Nancy may have been casually seeing more people than she had shared with her friends and her sister. Mm. Uh, she was really private. Um, about her dating life and you know didn't typically bring them back to her house ever uh, and didn't really tell anyone aside from her sister any sort of details which um, made it extremely difficult for police uh, because they were like well you know nobody could say oh she's been seeing this guy Ted or she's been seeing so-and-so right they were like I don't know (laughs) they're like we have no clue she's really private so I was like ah shit okay um, I guess I should start gossiping more about myself because I feel like I'm very private about shit. I have used that before when I've asked my friends like, oh, like, tell me about who you're dating. And they're like, oh, no, I'm private about that. And I'm like, I'll need to know if something happens okay. to you. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. Like now that would work on me because I feel like I'm very like, oh, I don't want to talk about it to anyone ever at the very least tell one person everything yeah. <laughs> and make sure that person isn't also killed that's a really good point point. and like so for her that was her sister um i mean my sister's 15 so like definitely that was not a thing i ever shared with my sister <laughs> uh so i gotta find a, a proxy i guess hello <laughs> it's it's m gossip it's train i'm <laughs> the captain of the gossip train yeah uh i feel like you'd be the best person to share stuff with so 
I'm also the best person to share that with because uh, I will. Uh, hmm, how do I say this? I will be as invested somehow as yeah. you once were. It's incredible. I, I'm the one that's ready to like knock down a door and scream at someone. It's for incredible. You. I love it. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, I keep saying this, and then I'm like, I'm not like dating anyone. I'm like married to someone. <laughs> so unfortunately, we missed the boat of like in a, in, a, in another world. Though we're at a bar right now, and you're bitching to me about the entire thing. Can't wait. Can't wait to watch Can't that wait. in an alternate timeline because it sounds. <laughs> Like a really fun night out. I um, wish I, I wish I do met you. I wish I had met you when you were single. I think you would have been fun to know when you were single. Uh, yeah. I feel like I, I pulled a little bit of a Nancy tattoo, you know, post, uh, post breakup <laughs> situation in my twenties as well. That's why it would have been fun. That would have been a blast. I will, I will say I was a little bit fun there for, for about half a year. Uh, <laughs> a little bit too fun, some might say. Uh, but you know, I'm back to my matronly ways, unfortunately. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Sort of. <laughs> I didn't get any tattoos though, which it was close, but I didn't. Um, those came later. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Anyway, right. This story, this really sad tale. <laughs> I right. guess. We, I guess we should talk about that again. Eh. So, um, right. So basically, she was very private. It made it difficult, and the investigation kind of stalled. So, eighteen months after Nancy's disappearance in 2010. A 26-year-old door-to-door meat salesman, which is apparently a thing, okay. uh, named Bernard K. Howell III, was stopped by police after pulling an illegal U-turn. In the passenger seat of his truck, they find a sleeping bag with a nearly decapitated woman's body inside. <gasps> Whoa. In, he wasn't even trying to hide it. No. In the fucking passenger seat. And this woman is not Nancy. At first, they were like, oh, my God, of course, like, there we found her. But no, found her, yeah, this was a woman named Vanda Boone, uh, whom Bernard had brutally murdered along a running trail near Nancy's house. OK, he had murdered her, suffocated her and then nearly decapitated her and then had just put her in his car and wrapped her up. And do we find out the reason behind that or he just saw her? And he just saw it. he just saw her crime wow. of opportunity running along a running trail and went for it. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. So the interesting so he was convicted of Vanda's murder and is currently serving his sentence. But the weird thing is that Bernard lives less than a mile from Nancy's house. Mm, okay. And this is like a really small town. So people are like, well, this is weird. Like, you know, a murder, a brutal murder within 18 months of a woman going missing in like a mile radius in this small town. And also if it's like, quote, a crime of opportunity, he could have definitely right. done that before in a place next to him. Exactly. Exactly. Because it was so close. So it gets weirder because he says to police he never met Nancy. He had no idea who she was. But then they checked Nancy's freezer and she had meat that was sold by him <gasps> at her door. So, like, he literally sold her meat at her house. Oh, no. And then he just uh, kept, he continued to claim that he had no idea what they were talking about. He'd never met her. Um, Even though he was her delivery meat person. Like, he literally had sold meat at her doorstep. Yeah. Okay. And so then what they did is they, so Nancy and Bill's daughter, Samantha, um, 
picked Bernard's photo out of an array lineup as the man who sold her mother, quote, lemon chicken and shrimp. So like this little girl was like, oh, yeah, I know him. He's sold my mom chicken and shrimp before. So like she like he she knows him well enough that he's been around multiple times. Exactly. And like the meat that they found in the freezer was mainly steaks, which led investigators to believe that he had come on more than one occasion. Right. Especially because Samantha had recognized him. Um, so it's just really iffy and shady that he's saying he has no idea what they're talking about. Um, he still to this day denies ever meeting her. Um, and he refuses to speak with investigators any further. So the investigation once again, just went cold. Wow. And then we fast forward 10 years. So July 9th, 2019. So less than a year ago, a man named Eric Lee Roberts called 911 and he told operators that he killed Nancy Moyer 10 years ago. What? Yes. He says on the phone, I know I'm being recorded, but I'm tired of holding it inside. And he was actually a former coworker and neighbor of Nancy's who was interviewed during the initial investigation um, because Nancy had, I guess, dated his nephew at one point. Uh-huh. And detectives drove out to his home because he just confessed to her murder and at first he says oh yeah well we had a sexual relationship and one night she attacked me for no reason so i killed her in (gasps) self-defense and they were like what because then he says actually what happened was i accidentally strangled nancy with a scarf during rough sex okay and that's what happened So he leads detectives to a fire pit on his property where he says he burned the scarf and he tells them, I don't really want to incriminate myself any further. Okay. Well, first of all, it seems like it's kind of too late. You literally just admitted two different versions of how you committed murder. Like two possible ways that they could get you. I mean, I don't want to definitely confirm for you that it's me, but let me tell you exactly (laughs) what happened and then show you the burn scene. Let me add a third possibility of how I did this. (laughs) So he shows them the fire pit and he says, I don't want to incriminate myself any further, but if I was going to get rid of a body on my property, it would be right here at this fire pit. Bye. I know. So he's obviously arrested. Um, His home is searched. His property is excavated to look for her body. Uh, They interview former girlfriends who state that he was abusive when drunk, had choked them violently during intercourse. Um, Upon his second interview, when they bring him in, Eric recants his entire confession. Oh, no. He tells interviewer James Basinger that he had no recollection of confessing due to medication he was on and that he had nothing to do with her disappearance whatsoever. I beg to disagree. Yeah. And also, like, can you imagine being the family and being like, oh, my God, they got him. And then he's like, eh, never mind. It was medication that made me say it. It's like you're torturing this poor family i I know and i also feel like if i were a member of that family and found out that someone just like gave up the information yeah i feel like i'd be like hmm this is going too well and like yeah true yeah and i'd be like oh well i can't be surprised at all that it definitely wasn't as easy as it looked right exactly it was like oh so easy someone just called 911 and said hey by the way here's what it was me yeah and here's her body yeah So it was, I guess, too good to be true, um, for lack of a better term. And, uh, you know, they didn't have the evidence after excavating, after searching his house. They didn't have any uh, evidence and they had a recanted confession. So the DA opted to delay filing charges and he was released from custody. 
<sighs> I know. I mean, like, I can't even imagine the frustration. But wow. Once again, the case had stalled. Um, and that was last year. So that was kind of a very new update. So as of now, law enforcement and Nancy's friends and family uh, hope someone remembers something. This is still an unsolved case that they have not been able to nail down who did it or what happened even because they haven't found her body. Right. Um, they they hope someone can think of like something they remember from that night or something maybe Nancy had told them that would give a clue as to what happened on March 6, 2009. They are currently offering a $105,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. And Samantha, the daughter, she's at least in the episode, she's now, she was 18. I think she's probably 19 now. Um, and she was, has been super open about her struggle maintaining like her mental health and like sure. staying above water during all of this. She talked a lot about in middle school, having a breakdown and like with middle school, I mean, so little. And she talked about, you know, she went through a really bad bout of depression because she hadn't coped with her mother's disappearance at all. Well, sure. And, um, you know, she had a lot of uh, suicidal thoughts and things like that. So she's she says no, not knowing is the worst part. She said something like, you know, is she in a basement being tortured somewhere? Is she dead? Right. Is she like gone on purpose? Like, you, like there's just no way to know what happened. And that's just really awful. I can't imagine. No, me neither. Um, she unfortunately, this is kind of fucked up. She didn't realize that her mother's case had been recategorized as a no body homicide. So basically, she, like her mother's being assumed dead at this point, uh, despite not having a body. And she didn't realize that until she saw a TV episode about her mother's disappearance. Oh, so like that's fucked up. Yeah. Um, she was interviewed. She seems like she reminds me so much. Of my little sister It was like, really awful to watch but she's interviewed and she's like really sweet and well-spoken and ugh, it's just tragic um but as of today nancy's nancy moyer's case is considered open and active and um her family is seeking any information so if you have anything uh you can call the thurston county sheriff's office at 360-786-5279 or thurston county crime stoppers at 360-493-2222 and just to give like a little bit of information as to what um, about Nancy, her full name is Nancy Moyer. Uh, her date of disappearance was March 6, 2009. She was 36 years old at the age of her disappearance. Uh, her date of birth was is November 22nd, 1972. She's a Caucasian female weighing 105 to 120 pounds. She's four foot 11. Uh, eye color brown, hair color brown. And her distinguishing characteristics are pierced ears. Multiple tattoos, including a colorful band of flowers, stars, and hearts around her bicep, a rainbow butterfly on her lower back, flowers with the word double mint and juicy fruit oh. on her upper back, a hibiscus on her left hip, a Playboy bunny on her right okay. hip, and cherries with the initials A and S on her right foot. Wow. Which are uh, her daughter's initials. And... One of the interesting things that I didn't that I forgot to mention, though, is like when they were talking to the guy who said like, oh, I had sex with her. Um, they he couldn't confirm her tattoos. And they were like, you know, if you had sex with her, you'd have at least seen one. Yeah, you'd know some of them were in like very private locations and like you'd have to be intimate with her to see those. So that was an interesting point. I hadn't really thought of, too, of huh. like to ask, you know, what were her tattoos if you had seen her? Right. Um, yeah. So that is the story of uh, Nancy Moyer. Um, 
this is a very open case. So hoping that something gets figured out and we can do a little update sometime in the future because it must be tough to not have closure. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. So that's my tale of the day. Wow. Well, it was a, a good one, but a sad one. Yeah, that's what I'm as good the, at. As they all are. <laughs> as, they, as they tend to be for some reason. Yep. Uh, well, yikes. I hope uh, I hope they're doing okay. I do too. Um, but yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And thank you um, for, um, what was her name? The Beacon? Oh my God. Yes, our Beacon. That's all I can think of her name now. Brandy the Beacon. Uh, Brandy Beacon. That's right. Thank you for, for uh, being a... Uh, I don't know the supporting this lovely case the the supporting person for this uh episode um yeah if thank you to everyone listening we hope everyone's doing okay and being safe and feeling safe and uh you know yeah we're we're thinking of you and um you can always reach out to us on social media we are always on there because we love to waste time on our phones that's the truth so, <laughs> you can find us there any time of the day or night and uh if there's any information you need on us you can find us at, on our website and that's why we drink um dot com and uh still submit in your listener stories we're still doing listeners episodes uh, and that's why we drink at gmail.com or again there's a submission form on our website yeah pretty easy pretty easy all right well catch you cool cats on the flip-flop That's what I always say. Cool cats and kittens. Cool cats and kittens. We love you all. (laughs) And that's why we drink. (laughs) Hey, mom. First things first. Thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help. And yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost.